Michelle Dickinson is a passionate mental health advocate, a TED speaker, and a published author for a memoir entitled Breaking Into My Life. After years of being a child caregiver for her bipolar mother, Michelle embarked on her own healing journey of self-discovery. Michelle will discuss how important it is for companies and individuals to invest in mental health programs and how to regain yourself after serious trauma. everyone. Welcome back to Lady Empire. I am so excited for the guest that I have here with me today. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I first want to start off with you telling us a little bit about your background and your childhood, um, specifically the experiences you had with your bipolar mother and helping to take care of her during your childhood. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, my mom, from the earliest age of probably four or five, I can remember my mom having symptoms of bipolar disorder, where she was just either very, very nervous, or very happy, or just like extreme moods from, you know, crying to being happy to being nervous. It was a very interesting experience to just sort of observe your mom in different states, and just the unpredictable nature of her illness. Um, And then, you know, of course, she was in and out of hospitals throughout my childhood, my grandma would stay with me, I would go and visit her in the hospital. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting experience. I refer to it a lot as a roller coaster because it was like, you just never knew the mom you were coming home to. So what do you think was the long-term effect that this relationship had on you? Girl, I am still unpacking that. <laughs> if you only knew <laughs> I had this, I had this horrible thing happen to me like last month and my therapist who I have no shame owning, I go to a therapist. It's like, I have to, uh, we were unpacking, you know, why the experience I was having as a 49 year old woman was so triggering. And it all went back to my mom, my mom, you know, being sick and like making me feel invisible and having my needs like never be met because her needs were priority, you know? So I'm still unpacking it. I would say, you know, there's a lot of ways it's positively served me. I mean, I'm probably much more compassionate and understanding, uh, for people with an illness, with a mental illness. Um, it's made me resilient. It's made me tenacious. It's also given me the ability to look for good in bad situations, um, but you know, it, it also, um, has me not want to trust people. So I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that, um, you know, growing up with someone who, whether they have an addiction or they have a mental illness, um, or they're just absent from your life, all of that, like sort of paints your experience as a little kid. And then ultimately, you know, spills into your adult life. So I want to talk a little bit about the memoir that you wrote that sort of stemmed from your experiences in your childhood. Um, You wrote a memoir called Breaking Into My Life. 
So tell us a little bit about why you wrote this and discuss your traumatic experiences that you highlighted in this memoir. Yeah, you know, it was a very interesting um it was a very interesting journey to write the memoir. If you would have asked me if I if I would have written a memoir, I would have said absolutely not, but I was invited to give a TED talk. I don't know how many years ago it's been now, and I gave the TED talk about my experience with my mom and I realized the power of storytelling how it just sort of opened up a doorway for people to, whether they were affected by someone with a mental illness or they struggled, it created an access and a bridge for people to just authentically like open up and share with me. And I thought, well, isn't this powerful? Like that was 13 minutes of my life. Imagine if I wrote a book. So that gave me, and also gave me the confidence that I had a voice and I had something worth sharing, you know, like from you know, being very insecure and always being uh, shy to being, in, you know, on the red dot giving my talk. So that really is what catapulted me into saying, you know what, I'm going to write my memoir because I know the power that my story could have for other people. And so I sat down and, and wrote the book over four years. It was incredibly long, cathartic. Um, I hired a writing coach because I'm not really a writer. I just had a story. Um, and it was an experience where I had to relive those experiences, right? So in order for me to really have you as the reader come along with me on that journey, I have to vividly recall what the room smelled like, what I was feeling, all of those things. And so I actually had to relive some of the most painful experiences that I tried to forget, um, in order to have people really get what it's like to love someone with a mental illness, So you talk a little bit in this memoir about you experiencing depression. How do you think, if you have even, come out of this depression? You know, what steps did you have to take to get to where you are today, even if you're still working on, you know, symptoms of depression? How did you come out of that? You know, I never really was diagnosed with depression. I I know I struggled for many years with seasonal depression. Like here in the Northeast, like we would get these really gray winters and I would just say, get me to an island like ASAP because I can't deal with the sadness of these gray clouds anymore. So, and normally a good trip to the Caribbean would definitely make me feel better and, and bridge me to spring. Um, but then I was going through a divorce. Um, I don't even remember how many years ago. And for the first time I was, I was diagnosed with depression because I was just dealing with, you know, these feelings I'd never felt that were just so crippling. And I, I knew better. I, you know, I always had a healthy relationship to getting a therapist. So I had a therapist and I reached out and, um, and I remember going to see him and asking him for medication because I was like, this is really hard. I don't want to feel this. This is like really like my life is upside down. And he was like, no, he's like, I really want you to try to find healthy outlets and a healthy vice to help you navigate this. This is going to be a tool in your toolbox, basically. And I was sort of irritated. But then my cousin uh, tapped me and said, do the New Jersey State Triathlon with me. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And honestly, the training for the triathlon was, was my vice, but it helped me so much just like get out of my head and put like energy into training and put energy into having a good diet 
and I was feeling good and I had energy, I had great energy. I was looking good. My confidence was coming back. And I realized that like, oh my goodness, I got momentum in the area of my health. And then slowly that helped, you know, in other areas of my life, it sort of spilled over. So for me, it was definitely training for the triathlon that, that desperately, you know, is what I needed to, to really help myself. And so what do you hope to accomplish with this memoir that you wrote? What is your overall goal? Yeah, I think, you know, if, if my, if my story can open up a dialogue and have someone who loves someone with a mental illness feel less alone, less isolated or related to, then I win. I mean, um, I really just want people to not be ignorant about mental health. And I think, I think if we all just extend a little bit, a little bit more compassion to people with mental illness, um, we remove stigma, we remove fear, we remove embarrassment, and then people who need care get care and they don't suffer in isolation. So it's really about helping, doing my part to help create more understanding and education and less, um, and less stigma. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your role that you had at a Fortune 50 company. You were on the senior leadership team and you were in this program, Mental Health Diplomats. Tell us a little bit about this role and the impacts that you made there. Yeah, for sure. You know, it was interesting because I released my book um, right around the time I was involved with, it was an employee resource group for mental illness. Um, and right around the time, um, it was, it was, it was like a, a perfect storm. I was dealing with depression. I was helping to lead this mental health employee resource group and my book was released. Um, and so I was able to use the book, actually use the book as a vehicle to cause more open dialogue in the workplace. Right. So if we were say, for example, to create like a conversation in a staff meeting about mental health and what resources were available. Well, we could break down the stigma in the workplace. If we want to create a stigma-free community and world, I think the best approach is to be looking at what are we doing in workplaces where people spend so many hours of their time. Um, So yeah, so we created this mental health diplomat community and so many people, whether they were affected by mental illness themselves or they had a loved one at home they were caring for, they just sort of came out of the came out of the shadows to just support one another and really and really create a sense of community and belonging. And it was such a cool thing to witness. Um, you know, they were the change makers in the company, creating creating a lot of more compassion and understanding. Um, so it was really, really a, a cool experience. And, you know, I learned a lot. I learned what worked, what didn't work when it comes to shifting cultures. You know, you can do certain things, but then we, we made some missteps and learned from them along the way. It's not easy to, to condition a, a culture, especially when we live in a society that, you know, mental illness is stigmatized. So um, it was quite a learning experience. And that lit the fire in my belly and said, you know, what else could I do in the world around creating cultures of compassion and elevating um, resilience and helping, helping employees feel good? Building off of helping people to feel good, you started a program called Perfect Just the Way You Are. And I just wanted to get 
a quick summary about what this program entails. I know you have a million things going on, and so (laughs) it's sort of difficult to dedicate a ton of time to this, but I just wanted to highlight um, this amazing program that you created. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I think for me, you know, when I was um, going through my personal healing journey, um, I did a lot of discovery work. Uh, You know, coming out of growing up with my mom, I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of, I guess you would say blinders on, or I I viewed life a certain way. And I had mentors who said, you know, you should do some self-discovery work. So I did a lot of self-discovery work. And in one of the courses that I was in, they said, you know, if you could change the world, what would it be? And I said, well, like I would want kids to know that they were perfect, whole and complete just as they were. And so that was when I created perfect just the way you are, because I wanted, I wanted kids to love themselves and know that their potential was limitless. The two things that my mother never taught me, right? So we come from our deficits, like what would it be like if every child knew that they could create whatever they wanted and that they were awesome as is, like they didn't have to do anything. And so that was what led me to create the program. And then I got my company to support it. And we delivered the program to thousands of children across New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. So it was, it was wonderful. Wow. That's phenomenal. Um, And I encourage everyone, especially if you're living in those areas to please get out and help support this program and check out what they're doing for um, the society that you live in. So statistics say that mental health illness is the most expensive illness in the healthcare industry. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at uh, mental health, a, a lot of times, you know, employers don't realize they have employees who are struggling. Um, and a lot of times they are out of, they're out of work and they're not admitting why they're out of work. Um, and they're not getting the support that they, that they need. Um, but you know, if you, if, if, if there's a small amount of money that goes toward, um, you know, preventative programs or wellness, that, comes back in presenteeism. Employees are working, employees are engaged. Whether or not you're looking the other way and just lumping it all under disability costs, or you're really looking at it and trying to figure out what do my employees need, you're paying for it. The bottom line is affected because employees are not present and they're not working. So of course it's an expense that um, I think a lot of companies need to be looking at. And when you look at right now, what we're dealing with with the pandemic, you know, the CDC says one in three Americans are struggling with depression or anxiety as a result of the pandemic. Now, if you were to look at that before the pandemic, it was said that one in five Americans would deal with a mental health challenge in their lifetime. And now we have one in three right now dealing with anxiety or depression because it's been a very hard experience. We've all navigated being quarantined. So, you know, I personally believe that employers, they don't have to do a lot more. They just have to do a little bit more to have their people feel cared for, especially if they're working remotely and they're not connected, you know, like around the water cooler with their, with their peers face to face. They can do just a little bit more instead of handing them an 800 number and looking the other way and hoping that they call. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my stance. Like just do a little bit more and your people are going to feel appreciated and cared for during the most challenging time of our lives. 
So your advocacy for bringing awareness to mental health is such a passion of yours, um, mostly because of your own experiences with your mother and your own experiences with mental health challenges. So tell us a little bit about your trifecta of mental health that you really stand by. Yeah, you know, um, we talked about all three of them. And up until a few years ago, I really only have the one with my mom. But, you know, being diagnosed with depression and experiencing a glimpse into what her life was like gave me a very interesting perspective. And then building, you know, a mental health employee resource group in, in a company, in a massive global company, was another piece. Those three lenses on mental health are very unique and I think important. Um, and that's that's why, you know, I'm out to do my part because um, you don't need a clinical narrative to get people comfortable being okay, not being okay. I'm just uh, I'm just a human being who has lived mental health experience and son- and has lived through caring for my mother. And if I can create a bridge for people who are not even acknowledging how they're feeling to, all right, I have the courage to pick up the phone and call a doctor, or I have the courage to pick up the phone and tell someone I'm not doing well, then we win. So I, I leveraged my trifecta of experience to bridge people to being comfortable with brain health. So let's talk a little bit about the benefits of mental health programs in the workplace. What are some positive things that can come from this that happen to both companies and their employees? Yeah, I think, you know, if we live in a society that's riddled with a stigma that prevents people from getting care because they don't even want to acknowledge how they're doing or they're living into the experience of their parents that we don't talk about it, we look the other way, I mean, that's the first hurdle. So it's all about normalizing the, the, the conversation about brain health. Like we're not embarrassed if we, if we have a, an organ that's not functioning, right? We go and we talk about it and we get support. So I think, you know, when it comes to um, organizations, it's as simple as having open conversations and creating a space of trust and creating a space of you know what? Like we're an inclusive organization. We accept people of all abilities, regardless of regardless of what their ability is. Um, so, if you want to be a truly inclusive organization, that includes people with invisible disabilities. You know, who just want to show up and do the best they can with with what they bring to the table. Um, so, I think I answered your question. I'm not really sure. Did I answer your question? <laughs> you did. Yes. <laughs> So what do you recommend to someone that is going through a really traumatic experience right now, or even just truly struggling with their mental health? What do you recommend that they do in moving forward or getting out of that, that challenging experience? You know, connection is so important. And even though, I mean, I remember when I was dealing with depression, the last thing I wanted to do was talk to someone or go out and have dinner with someone. I just wanted to crawl into a hole and be like left alone. But the problem with that is you can certainly do that. And I, and I don't, I don't say not to, I say, do what you need to do, but don't pitch a tent and stay there. You know, it's temporary. The challenge though, if you, if you do 
choose to stay there is, you know, you go into your head and you go into this vortex in your mind and you, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you open your mouth and you articulate to someone how you're feeling, it suddenly becomes less, less big. So my recommendation has always been just talk to someone you trust. It could be a friend. It could be a parent. It could be, you know, anyone that you trust just to get it out, just to speak it into existence and get it out of your head. So talking is the most important thing. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't make you weak. It actually shows the courage you have to acknowledge that you're suffering. You know, if your joy is being robbed, you don't deserve that. You deserve, you deserve to try to find your joy. So speak. Absolutely. And if there are listeners out there right now that are truly struggling, you know, with themselves or with a family member, please find someone that you can speak to and that you trust and that you can rely on to get help and to get through this challenging experience. Um, Also, please look to Michelle's TED Talks and her memoir as she's really experienced a lot of these issues on her own. And so I think it'd be so good to take her advice and to, you know, try to better yourself and, and move out of these challenging situations. So I just want to finish out with a fun fact about you that I ask all of my guests. Um, So what is your favorite thing to do to maintain your own mental health, whether that's meditation or exercise or yoga? What do you do for your own mental health? Yeah, it's such a good question. And, you know, I'm going to go back to the training of the triathlon. I'm now training for one in July, right? So I was starting to not feel good. And I was like, what do I know to do to feel better? Um, Because I'm an entrepreneur. So I work and I work and I work. And so the two things that I just recently decided is that every Sunday is going to be a self-care Sunday. I don't know what that, what that looks like, but it definitely means I'm not working and train for my triathlon because I'm going to start to feel better. I'm going to have more energy. I'm going to, you know, look better. All of this is going to help me prepare for something that I'm going to accomplish. So I would say that, and then just having non-negotiables around self-care. I mean, you can't pour from an empty cup, so you have to take care of yourself. And that's not like a massage every six months. That's what are you doing on the daily or on the weekly to be preserving your balance so it doesn't get off kilter. So where can we find you on social media and where can we look at what you are working on and your TED talk? Yeah. So, um, you can follow me on Instagram, Michelle with two L's Dickinson, like fairly D I C K I N S O N 71. So if you go there and you click on the link, you get all of my social tabs, um, and my TED talk. Um, if you're looking to bring more programs, if you're looking to bring a program around resilience to the workplace, I teach employees how to recenter themselves. This is definitely a challenging time. You can go to my website, uh, careforyourpeople.com, and you can learn about what I bring to the workplace and why it's so important to be doing stuff now for employees. That's great. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. I truly love speaking with you and thank you so much for sharing your own personal story with us. Um, I know that's a very vulnerable thing to do, but we are so appreciative of it. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. 